Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And good morning. Welcome to Dirt Radio, a program about grassroots activism run by Friends of the Earth on 3CR. I'm Claude Galois. And I'm Jay Iwasaki, and we're broadcasting from beautiful Wurundjeri country in Collingwood, Victoria this morning. From the river to the sea, always will be, and make sure to check out our socials for all the First Nations and Palestine actions and events happening this week. Today on the show, we'll be chatting to Friends of the Earth's campaign coordinator, Cam Walker, um, all about the High Country Forest campaign. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this song, Down City Streets by Archie Roach. Down City Streets I would roam I had no bed I had no home Crawl out of bushes Early morn Use newspapers To keep me warm Then I'd have to for a drink Start me up Help me to think Down city streets I would roll Use my fingers As it goes In those days when I was young Drinking and fighting Was no fun It was daily living for me I had no choice It was meant to be Down city streets I would go There was nothing that I owned Use my fingers as it goes Now I'm a man, I'm not alone I am married, I have children of my own now I have something I call my own 
These are my children And this is my home I look around And understand How street kids feel When they're put down Down city streets I would roam. I had no bed, I had no home. And there was nothing that I Welcome back to the studio, where we're joined by Friends of the Earth's campaign coordinator, Cam Walker, talking all things for us. So we've had some huge wins for forests in the recent months. And as of the 1st of January 2024, all native forest logging on public lands in the east of Victoria will end. This comes after decades of hard work by many thousands of people. So Cam, welcome to the studio. Thanks, good to be here. So are you satisfied with the outcomes or is there anything that could have been done a little bit better? No, I think it's a fantastic outcome. We had a government commitment to end native forest logging by the end of this decade, and it was brought forward seven years, and that's a really fantastic outcome. And it had a very strong transition package, and that is just super important. You can't overstate the value of that. And if you look at the announcement back in May last year when they said native forest logging would end, they really led with a really substantial package for workers and the communities that will be impacted by this decision. And that's just essential. When you start to intervene in an industry, you have to look after the affected people. Mm, absolutely. And what other uh, groups or community organisations and community groups were part of the campaign? Oh, there were so many local and regional groups and they played a really important role in terms of running court cases around threatened species and that just really slowed down the logging across the state and it became a real barrier to Vic Forest being able to log as they wanted to. And then there were election campaigns that large environmental groups were really active in it. Uh, so it, it was a, re- a, a very good joint effort, but I'd say as a campaign it w- was really led by the regional groups and they have coalesced under the umbrella of the Victorian Forest Alliance. Mm, yeah, amazing. Um, could you maybe give a brief history of kind of where um, this movement started and where kind of the awareness really began to take hold? So it is decades. Um, I believe the first non-violent direct actions in forests in Victoria was the summer of 1983, 83-84. Uh, that was up in Eskipland. Eskipland was kind of the centre point for the protest for a very long time. And the underlying thing here was in the late 1970s, the introduction of wood chipping into native forests. So prior to that, they would cut down trees and take the trees out and convert them to timber. Once wood chipping arrived, it meant that they were taking out vast volumes of pulp and often shipping it overseas. And this pulp was of a very low value um, economically, and but it began to drive the industry. And that's really what spurred a lot of people to take action. So in the early 80s, that turned into non-violent direct action. By the 90s, you had um, the Gippsland Alliance and you had the, the rise of Goomba Environment Centre up in Gippsland. You had all the, the state-level conservation groups active, like Friends of the Earth and the Wilderness Society and National Parks Association. 
And then in the last decade or so, it's had a very strong focus on electoral campaigning. So during the state election cycle, having strong campaigns, particularly in inner suburbs, uh, around getting government or parties in general to commit to phase out native forest lobby. So it's been through multiple stages. It's been focused primarily on a Skipsland until the last 10 years, and it's really shifted back into what they call the Central Highlands, which are those amazing mountain ash forests around Hillsville and Warburton. Right. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I've, I've come from... Uh, California originally, um, in Northern California, with a history of redwood logging and a lot of um, old growth felling. So it, it sounds like, um, yeah, like the the transition to wood chipping with um, maybe more volume dependent profits versus, like in California, like really high quality um, timber products from redwoods um, may may have been like a pretty pretty important transition to to um, increase logging here? Do you think that's the case? Just wondering. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Uh, people just were outraged by the fact that we were cutting down 80-year trees or 120-year-old te- trees and converting them into pulp that would go into, you know, paper bags and, and copy paper and things like that. And the fact that this industry increasingly drove the volume of what was coming out of our native forest, it just wasn't acceptable to the community. We know there's all... Old, so many alternatives to cutting down old trees for paper. You know, we've got hemp, we've got the gas, we've got um, agricultural residues, we've got plantation timber, uh, particularly pine plantations, which are important for newsprint. So there were alternatives, and more and more, whenever you looked at the polling, people just didn't like the fact that our native forests were being pulped for very low-value product. Yeah, Absolutely. And Cam, can you tell us a bit about the ecosystems um, in the in the high country and what kind of plants and animals live um, in that, that area? Yeah, so there's four key areas of forest, you could probably say in Victoria. There's the Western Forest, there's the Central Highlands, which is that mountain ash country, and there's East Gippsland, which is that area to the east of the Snowy River. The big patch in the middle we tend to refer to as the northeast of the high country, and that's where Friends Earth has been focusing for the last three or four years. And these forests are what they call foothill forests, and then as you get higher, you get into the alpine ash forests, which are very similar to the mountain ash, so the second tallest flowering plant on the planet, and then up into the snow gum woodlands, and then up into the true alpine zone. And in those zones, we have everything from the mountain pygmy possum, which exists at the very high levels, which is a hibernating, a tiny hibernating marsupial that sleeps in the boulder fields through winter and feeds on the bogon moths in the spring and the summer, down into the, the low-level forest where you've got wombats and lyrebirds and echidnas and kangaroos and wallabies and all the animals that are probably more familiar to it. Mm. So you must have been able to um, maybe work with some of the groups that are cons- conserving those animals. And I'd, I'd love to see a pygmy possum. It's one of the things I'd, I really want to see. Yes, we've worked pretty strongly with a range of groups, in- including land care groups up there. We've done a lot of what we call citizen science, which is mapping the impact of logging and particularly the impact of fire, particularly on the snow gum woodland. And um, there's some really interesting research being done about the mountain pygmy possums and, and restoration programs that involve academics, universities, the ski resorts, state government and others. And, uh, you know, that's actually a really heartening story because the mountain pygmy possums 
They're tiny, they're absolutely gorgeous, but they're at such grave risk of becoming extinct. And uh, that's one, one of the better programs that's really helping to bring them back from the edge of extinction. Cool. So, yeah, actually, is, is that one of the, like in conservation, we talk about like a flagship species or a keystone species, um, an umbrella species for the, not just important in the ecosystem, but important for a kind of galvanizing public sport for conservation? Absolutely. And that's for a few reasons. One is because they actually rely on a good cover of snow when they hibernate. That helps them to regulate their body temperature. So if you get less snow, they actually get greater temperature fluctuations and they're more likely to die during hibernation. So that's an issue that leads to climate change. We've got foxes and cats, which are major predators um, on the mountain pygmy possum. So that's an invasive species issue. We've got bushfires, which are linked to climate change, which also threaten habitat because some of the plants that they rely on. So there's many, uh, you know, kind of issues that are really confronting the species. And to a less degree, you also have loss of habitat. The habitat is very localised as it is. Unfortunately, those highest mountains where often they live, we've also chosen to put ski resorts um, right on top of their habitat in some instances. So multiple threats, but definitely an iconic species that really, you know, captures people's imagination because they really are so good. <laughs> Totally. And um, just before we go to a quick announcement, one more question that leads quite nicely on from that. Um, we know that bushfire intensity is going to continue to increase. Um, how can we continue to or like start to sustainably manage our state forests and national parks better? So a lot of our forests are recovering from fire and logging. And we know in the alpine ash and we know in the snow gum woodlands, what we need to do is exclude fire while those forests recover. And that's kind of counterintuitive because, you know, there's this big conversation around burning and fuel reduction and we burn forests that make them less fire prone. That is definitely not the case when we're talking about recovering alpine ash and snow gum forests. So we've got to do the opposite of what people assume we need to do, and that is to exclude fire for at least several decades. And as these forests recover and as they go back into an older phase, they become much less flammable. The big chunk of our work in coming decades will be to keep the fires out of these ecosystems, which means having the firefighting resources to do so, and also the political will to make sure that we are looking after nature, not just looking after human assets in bad fire season. Totally. Thanks so much, Cam. We'll be right back after this short announcement. Victoria's wildlife need your help when bushfires strike. They can be injured, dehydrated or disoriented after bushfires. Call Wildlife Victoria 84007300 if you see wildlife in distress or for more information. To donate or volunteer, go to wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Thank you. You've been tuned in to Dirt Radio on 3CR with Claude Galois and Jay Usaki from Friends of the Earth. And we've been speaking to Cam Walker on the transition away from native, native forest logging in Victoria. Welcome back, Cam. Thank you. Um... Just wondering about um, your, your, I guess your your vision now, transitioning to the future for long term recovery and the role I guess Friends of the Earth can play. Yes, so 
we are at an incredibly important moment for the forest conservation movement because it's, it's fair to say that to a very large degree, the forest conservation movement in recent decades has ignored the aspirations of First Nations people. Uh, and yet we often talk about sovereignty never ceded and acknowledging ongoing connections to country. Well, now is the moment we get to prove that. And what that means is we need to listen very closely and engage very deeply with the First Nations groups with traditional interests in the high country and the areas that are no longer going to be logged. It's a very large part of the east of the state. It's 1.8 million hectares. And so we're actually saying it's the moment where we're very good advocates. We're very good at saying what we want to see. We want new national parks. We want this. We want that. It's actually a moment for us to reflect and listen. So rather than pushing our agenda, listen to First Nation aspirations. So that's really the main game at present. And that is hard because we all do have aspirations. We've been working to protect areas and now we want to see them, you know, fully protected in national parks and so on. But we, I think it is a moment where we have to walk the talk and listen deeply to First Nations people. And then there's also the fact that over time, these forests that have been so impacted by logging and so impacted by fire need to be nurtured back. And we need to have a long and deep conversation about what does restoration look like in a time of climate change? Totally. Yeah, that sounds like a very logical kind of next step. Um, Are you working with any um, First Nations groups at the moment or is there kind of any sort of plans um, to do that in a kind of... Yeah, um, in the near future? Yes, so we are talking with all the uh, relevant First Nations groups. There's five groups with particular interest in the areas now known as the High Country or the Victorian Alps. Um, We see that a big chunk of that work is understanding their aspirations and there is a cultural landscape strategy that has been produced by First Nations groups. And that's quite confronting for environmentalists because often uh, the forest movement has kind of perceived forests as being unpeopled landscapes, whereas in reality, all of Australia was a peopled landscape, but due to history and due to colonisation, First Nations people have been excluded from the forest narrative. So we actually need to kind of bring the people into back into the trees, so to speak, which is to understand that First Nations people do continue to have aspirations around country. They are now at the point where they're exercising those aspirations and that particularly means managing forests. So, you know, we are at this moment of kind of changing our views of, say, wilderness into understanding that, well, there was never really any wilderness here. What there was was a peopled and cultural landscape and that requires quite a kind of fine-tuning and, and realignment of the conservation values that we're, we're working from. Yeah, cool. That sounds like some really important um, work that's happening. And I know that you spend quite a lot of time up in the high country. What kind of um, changes have you seen due to climate change over the last few years? Uh, The biggest impact is fire. So we know that since about the year 2000, there's been a step change in the, the type of fires we get. We're getting larger fires more frequently. And um, if you map it back to colonisation and records around fires kept in the early 1800s, it's clear that we're in an entirely new country when it comes to the frequency and intensity of fires. What that has done is kill off the old forest. And, for instance, there's been some research just being done by academics at La Trobe University that show that 
less than 1%, only half of 1% of the old snow gums remain that have not been burnt. Most snow gum forests have been burnt once, twice or up to five times in recent decades. So what we are seeing is systems that are starting to face ecological collapse, that is they're no longer coming back from fire because the tolerance interval between fires is being surpassed and that means that the, the, the trees basically get exhausted, the seed stock is done, the trees can't regrow and you start to lose parent of the trees. You get no restocking of new seedlings and those forests start to collapse into something else. And what that something else is, it appears, will be a mix of wattle and scrub and grass. So in our lifetimes, we're witnessing the beginning of ecological collapse in the high country, in the alpine ash forest and the snow gum woodlands, and that's due, I would say, directly to the impact of climate change on fire season length and fire intensity. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know about the, the role forest plan actually holding water, and once a sizable proportion of trees are lost, then the water held in the soil reduces and it becomes harder to maintain that, it becomes kind of a cascade and um, changing the ecosystem from... Uh, forests to more mixed to um, maybe no forests after that altogether. Indeed, that's absolutely true. And and the older forests in the higher country also hold the snowpack better, which releases the water more slowly in spring. If you lose the trees, the sun burns off the snow quicker, and so you tend to get more, you know, extreme kind of stream flow events, and then the water's done and is down in the river system. So the high mountains do act as a type of sponge that holds and then releases water over time. And, of course, we rely on that water for streams, for agriculture, for drinking water and all the rest of it. So there's, there's multiple impacts that are coming as a result of mm. climate change. Well, I'll just ask one more question before we go to another short break. Um, do you have some favourite places up, up in the high country to visit and camp that maybe suggest to people who haven't been there? Oh, absolutely. If there's one place people haven't been but they like mountains, they should go to Mount Howard. Uh, that's kind of within the view site of the Mount Buller Resort. So if you know that part of the world near Mansfield, uh, the easiest way to get in is a seven-kilometre walk through recovering old snow gum woodlands. And it's a absolutely beautiful mountain area. It's very remote um, and it, it, it's just spectacular. So if you're going to go anywhere... Aim to get into Mount Howard, I would say. Cool. That's on my list now, for sure. I will go to a short break and um, play an announcement, and we'll be right back. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Thank you. You've been tuned into Dirt Radio on 3CR with Claude Galois and Jay Iwasaki from Friends of the Earth. We have been speaking to Cam Walker on the transition away from native forest logging in Victoria. Thank you. Welcome back, Cam. Thanks, Jay. And um, Cam, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted to get involved to support the campaign or volunteer, what's the best way they can find out more information? 
they could just do a web search for Friends of Melbourne Forest Campaign and it should come up. We have regular meetings at our office in Collingwood. That's a great way for people to get involved. We do lead citizen science trips, that is monitoring trips, and free guided walks up in the mountains. So if you go to the events page on Friends of Melbourne, you'll find our upcoming events. I think the next one is in early April up at a place called the Bogong High Plains up near Falls Creek Resort. Wonderful. And is there also a crowd crowdfunder happening at the moment um, for the campaign as well? There is indeed, and you should be able to find it on the Friends of Earth Melbourne website. Um, basically, with the end of native forest logging, unfortunately, a lot of people think that the job is done and it's actually very hard to get any funding to do this work. But now we're moving into the next 100 years. How are we going to restore these forests? How are we going to build their resilience in the face of climate change? How are we going to make sure First Nations people are decision makers, not just seen as being stakeholders? There is just a decade of work to do. So yeah, we do have a crowdfund campaign. Um, if there is any way you could tip in some cash, that would be great. Uh, we have two very part-time forest campaigners and that all, any funds that come in will be allocated to keeping them going. Great. <clears throat> I guess it must feel really nice to at least get a small resolution. I mean, learning more about about this from my perspective, from California and the history of old growth logging there of some of the biggest trees on the planet, it's, uh, well, it was really sad for me to learn that you had these 4,000-year-old, 3,000-year-old sequoia trees with relatively poor lumber being chopped down, falling and shattering, and basically being used for toothpicks and matches. And to hear that kind of same story repeat here just for, for wood chipping, um, it's it's great to see an end of that. It is. It's been a long campaign, but it's a really welcome end. And Western Australia is in the process of ending its native forest logging. Um, there's a growing movement in Tasmania as well to see that happen. So it does feel like it's been decades of work, but it's now paying off and we are witnessing across the continent and into native forest logging on public lands, and that's a really great thing. And it only happened because people got organised and stayed organised, so it's a nice reminder that campaigning can and does work. It's a great, great ending. Thank you so much, Cam. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks so much for for coming on the show today, and um, I'm sure we'll be hearing from Cam again shortly. Um, And um, we'll say goodbye for now and make sure to check out our socials for all the First Nations and Palestine actions and events happening um, this week across Victoria. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back on the 3CR website and stay tuned because up next is Billabong Beats with Gavin Moore. We have been Jay Iwasaki and Claude Galois on Dirt Radio. And we're going to leave you with this song called Native Tongue by Moju, a wonderful track.
granddaddy was with Radjuri. My father came here from the Philippines. It's where I live, it's where I want to be. Ooh, but you make me feel so ill at ease. I don't speak my father's native tongue. Thank <laughs> you. 